Beautiful. Worthy is the lamb that was slain for us. Those words in that song mean so much to me today because there was a time in my life when those words wouldn't have made any sense to me at all. I can remember many Easter's when I wondered, what does a lamb have to do with Easter? In the family I grew up in, it was part of a tradition that we ate cake that was shaped like a lamb on Easter for dessert. This tradition started because my aunt went into the cake decorating business and bought our family a cake that was shaped like a lamb, and she told us it was for Easter. On Good Friday, we baked the cake, decorated it, and frosted it. And we looked forward to eating that lamb cake on Easter Sunday. I specifically remember a time when I was frosting that cake, wondering, what does a lamb have to do with Easter? At that time in my life, it would have made much more sense to me to have a bunny cake, because Easter was about the Easter bunny after all. That's not the only time I had questions that had to do with the lamb. Growing up in the Catholic faith, there were many times I heard the words, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. As the priest was preparing communion supper, the entire congregation would say, The Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. It would be repeated a second time. The Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. So many times I would say to myself, I don't get this. I don't understand. Why am I saying, the Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world? What does a lamb have to do with sin? And why am I talking about a lamb in church? Just as I didn't get the connection between Easter and the lamb, I didn't get the connection between Jesus and the lamb. As I got older, I fell away from the Catholic faith and stopped going to church altogether. The years following, I became preoccupied with thoughts of dying, and I wondered if I did die, would I go to heaven? I would lay in my bed, saying prayers night after night, but I never felt good enough, never worthy enough for God to accept me. My Catholic background did teach me some good things about right and wrong, but going to heaven hinged on the priest granting me forgiveness of my sins. The only way to be right with God was to go to what we called confession and confess our sins to the priest. Only the priest had the right to forgive. After confessing your sins to the priest, the priest would assign you a certain number of prayers to say. By saying these prayers, you could be forgiven and reconciled back to God. We were supposed to go to confession often to be in right standing with God. I remember being so afraid to go to confession. I felt that I had to tell the priest something bad I did since my last confession. If I couldn't think of something, I would make something up. The problem is, then I felt guilty. (laughs) After I stopped going to church and not going to confession in years, I lived in a state of feeling unforgiven. I was filled with anxiety, guilt, insecurity, and fear. I looked happy on the outside, but in the inside, I was totally miserable. I felt so far away from God. 
but I didn't know how to get close to him. I was very lost. At the age of 29, I reached a place of desperation. I wanted to know God was real. It was finally time for me to get serious about finding him. In Jeremiah 29:13, God says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In hopes to find God, I signed up with my husband, Pat, for Bethesda's catechism class. Pat and I were assigned to wonderful, wonderful small group leaders by the name of Bob and Marianne Michalik, and we absolutely loved them. One of the things that really struck me about Bob, week after week, when he would speak about the things of God, he would always use the word amazing. Everything was amazing. He said it so much that one day after class, I said to my husband, why does he keep saying amazing? It actually started to annoy me. Bob, if you're here today, and I hope you are, Bear with me. I'm not through with the story. (laughs) At that point, I hadn't personally found God to be amazing, so I didn't get why Bob kept saying amazing. After several weeks into that class, I went into a little Christian bookstore to get a baby gift. As I was looking around that store, I got distracted by a display rack that had all kinds of uh, pamphlets and little tracks on it. One specific tract caught my attention. It was a tract for children that said, Do lambs, what do lambs and Easter have in common? Well, I anxiously picked up that tract and began to read it. I would like to read that tract to you today. Please keep in mind that this is a children's tract, so the words have been simplified. These are the words that I read. What do lambs and Easter have in common? Good Friday. The day Jesus died on the cross. Don't get it? Read on. So I did. Long ago, lambs were used to pay for sins. Strange but true. People have always sinned. God has always demanded payment. People paid with lambs. It worked like this. Someone who sinned wanted God to forgive him. So he picked out a perfect little lamb as payment. The sinner laid his hands on the lamb. A priest killed the lamb. Payment was made. God forgave that person. Trouble was, people kept sinning, so they kept sacrificing lambs until the very first Good Friday, Jesus died that day. God said Jesus' death would pay for everybody's sins forever. Jesus was God's lamb. He was perfect, yet God put everybody's sins on him. When Jesus was killed, everybody's sins were killed, but Jesus didn't die forever. He walked right out of the grave. The very first Easter. He proved that he was stronger than sin and stronger than death. He still is. He's still the Lamb of God and his long ago death still pays for sins. God said so. Now do you get it? Jesus, the Lamb of God, paid for your sins on that first Good Friday. He conquered sin and death on that first Easter. Believe in Jesus and God will forgive your sins forever. He promised. As I stood... In that little bookstore with that tract in my hand, I was overwhelmed with the realization that Jesus sacrificed his life for me. He paid for my sins on the cross. Before that day, I never knew that God required an animal sacrifice for sin. I never knew that God required sacrifice for sin at all. 
I stood in that store thanking him over and over for dying on the cross for me. His word tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. By his grace, he shed his precious blood on that cross that we could be forgiven. I was so thankful for his grace. Through the sacrifice of his body and the shedding of his blood, I could be close to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I didn't need to go to a priest to have my sins forgiven. I could go straight to Jesus. John 1 9, 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As I was driving home that day from that little Christian bookstore, my mind was flooded with so many thoughts. I finally understood why we ate lamb cake on Easter, and it made sense to me. I understood why so many times in the Catholic Church we said the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I couldn't wait to get to catechism that week and tell my small group about my amazing, amazing discovery. Guess what Bob said? Amazing. (laughs) If you know Bob Michalik, you know. But this time, I wasn't annoyed. And I said, yes, amazing. I think I started saying amazing more than Bob was saying amazing. My favorite hobby became studying the Bible. The more I learned and experienced God's words, I just kept saying amazing. I can't believe this has been here my whole life and I didn't know it. His word is amazing. My new favorite song became Amazing Grace. I would play it over and over on my little keyboard. I will look forward to being home alone so that I could just sing Amazing Grace at the top of my lungs. I'm not going to sing it for you today because I don't have that gift. (laughs) But these words of the song became my personal testimony. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. His word tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is, it is a gift from God. I'm so thankful today for his amazing grace. I once was, but now I'm. You know, you can fill in your own words 
You can think of your own story. That song inspired by the Lord to a guy named John Newton, who was a terrible man. In his own description, he described his life as awful. He was a slave trader. In his memoir, he wrote that his, it, it was his delight and habitual practice to be wicked. One day he was on a boat after he had been enslaved in Africa himself. He'd finally been rescued. He's off the coast of Ireland, almost home. And his boat went into a storm. The man thought he was going to lose his life. Thought it was going to, that was it. In his own words, this is how he describes it. I begin to pray. My prayer was like the cry of the ravens. I now began to think of that Jesus whom I had so often derided. I recollected the particulars of his life and of his death, a death for sins not his own, for the sake of those who in their distress should put their trust in him. And Newton was in distress. He put his trust in Christ. He went on to become a preacher and a hymn writer. He wrote over 300 hymns. In the song Amazing Grace, he described that fantastic change that he experienced. Lost, but found, blind, but he could see clearly. He was afraid. His fears were relieved. Why? Because of God's grace, a free gift. Can't do it ourselves. Can't buy it. Can't work for it. And I hope that you were able to write something on this card as we were playing that song. A before and after of your life before coming to Jesus Christ. And if you weren't, if you weren't able to write something down, my hope is that before you leave this morning, you'll be able to do so. Because this morning is a great morning. It's the linchpin of Christianity. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's significant, and I'm thrilled with it. I'm so happy to be here today, and I'm happy you're here. If you're visiting with us, welcome. If it's your first time, so happy you're here. Uh, my name is Pastor Pat Visger, and it is just my privilege to speak to you this morning. I am so uh, thrilled to be here that I wanted to sing in the choir and it was my very first choir experience. I know I missed a couple of cues, but I'm glad you're a gracious group. I told uh, our Reverend Terry Allen, who leads our choir, I said, I want to experience every aspect of the church. And the choir is just one area I've never really participated in. So a month and a half or so ago, there was the first meeting. And I went to the meeting and... There I was with a whole group of people, and Perry, Terry said, get to your parts, okay, you know, sopranos over there, altos over there, and, and I'm kind of standing there looking like a lost sheep, and he says, Pat, you're a tenor. And I was thinking, oh, wow, I didn't even audition, and he knows I'm a tenor. All right, he sees my gift. This is great. So I said, hey, Terry, 
how'd you know I was a tenor? So he's like, hey, psh, come over here. Come over here. He says, Pat, you can't sing. <laughs> he says, but, but, if you get up there and we surround you with ten or more, then you'll be able to sing. And I said, okay, I get it. At least I'm not a 20-er. All right. And it was just a thrill. It was a thrill to sing and praise the Lord this morning because it is significant. It's Easter. And I want to talk to you about the resurrection this morning, of course. And I'm going to begin with a scripture from the New Testament. St. Peter the Apostle wrote about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in his first letter He wrote this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's the opening few verses of his first letter. And if you haven't experienced what Peter's talking about here, this new birth in Christ, if you don't have a living hope, I want you to. I want everyone in this room to have that living hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Raised from the dead has significance for your eternal soul. It offers us something it can never perish, never spoil, never fade away. It's an inheritance that he's keeping for us in heaven. If you've never understood it, if you've never accepted that, I pray this morning that God reveals it to you before you walk out of here. When it comes to Jesus Christ, when it comes to believing in him, acknowledging him as God, the one who came to earth as a man, recognizing him as risen from the dead, alive at the throne of God as King of kings and Lord of lords, accepting his grace. When it comes to that for me, my problem was me. I knew the gospel well enough. I'd been taught as a child. I even believed it somewhat. I just didn't want it. Uh, The first word I would write down is stubborn. I was stubborn. Putting up walls, blocking off Jesus. This catechism class my wife talked about, we took it together. But I didn't want to go. I didn't want to get involved in that. I told her no way, no how was I going. I had done that before. Actually, I had done it twice before. The first time, 12 years old, I never even made it through. I flunked out. The second time, I was 16 years old. And my dad told me, you will take this class. You will finish this class. And I did. But I only did it to keep my dad off my back. So it really meant absolutely nothing to me. Then... As a young man in my 20s, I've had two little girls now, I'm married. My youngest is 
two years old, and my wife is saying to me, we should take this class. And of course, we, we've got to figure out how to raise our kids and, you know, what is right? What is wrong? How should we live life? And I told her, no thanks, not for me. I know what they do there. They try to force this Jesus on you. They try to force God on you. I've been there. I've done that. I don't want anything to do with it. You can take it yourself. When it comes to Jesus, I was stubborn. And I also learned something. A wife can be persuasive. So I found myself in this class for the third time. But something was different. Something's different when you're an adult, your perspective has changed. And now I was with someone. And that made for a much better experience. Julie and I talked about what was happening, what we were learning together. And then there was this couple there. She's already talked about Bob and Mary Ann, the Michaliks. And like she said, it seemed every week, Bob was using this word amazing. Something from the Bible. Isn't it amazing? Something about God. Isn't it amazing? Something about Jesus. Isn't it amazing? He said amazing so much. At home, we started calling him Amazing Bob. That Seriously. And then, Julie, she has this epiphany one day. She's at the bookstore of all places. And she comes to understand the significance the reality of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And she sees it as nothing less than amazing. Amazing grace. She played it over and over on that little keyboard. And it all came by the simplicity of this little child's pamphlet, this little children's tract about Jesus and the Lamb. And she got it. So amazing. So amazing was this plan of God. The lamb cake, the cake her mother used to make for Easter. She finally understood it. When it came to Jesus, she was once questioning. She was once puzzled. But now she was amazed from fogginess to seeing very clear like a light coming on. And that's what it was. It was this light bulb experience. As for me, I'll still be in stubborn. And it took me a little while. But the truth of Jesus, it kept building up. It kept piling up. Through these classes we'd go to, through our times at home, talking to one another, until it just became so overwhelming. It became indisputable. And one day I just said, enough, okay. And I remember that day. And what I did was I submitted No more my way. No more barriers. I realized I'm not God. I'm created. I was created by the creator, God. And I was separated from him by insisting on my own way. I'm imperfect like everyone else. I'm a sinner. So I finally decided to submit to the perfect one, Jesus Christ. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God who gave his life for me. And he gave his life for you. I once was stubborn, but now I'm submitted to him. My eyes opened and I realized God is amazing. 
I realized how amazing God is. And I submitted my life to Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice for sin. This idea of sacrifice, it's one of the toughest things for us to understand. You know, why is it necessary? I've had friends say, oh, that's a bloody religion. What's it all about? Why the animal sacrifice? Why the cross? Why the blood? This necessity for sacrifice, it goes all the way back to the entrance of sin in the world. The first man, the first woman, they disobeyed God. They didn't listen to him. They sinned. Disobedience, pride, arrogance, self-reliance. The creatures rebelling against their creator and desiring to be a God themselves. That's somewhat my own story. And that sin, it polluted the relationship that they had with God. God and his creation became separated. It caused this great barrier, a, a huge canyon of separation. And sin brought death into the world that had been only full of life. Sin caused death. And thus God required death to compensate for sin. But God was merciful. He was merciful to mankind. He didn't say, well, I require your life. He offered a way to deal with this problem of sin. It was severe. It was extreme. It required death. But God didn't ask man to die for his sin. He allowed a substitute. Bring something you love, something valuable, something without defect, something alive. And for the Old Testament people, that was something from their flock. And most often that substitute which gave its life as an offering for sin to God was a lamb. This gave men and women a way to deal with sin. But it wasn't permanent. It wasn't lasting It had to be repeated over and over and over again. For over a thousand years, this method was used to compensate for sin. But all along, as time moved on, God was revealing a plan. He was revealing a plan to end this all, to put it to a rest. Because there was going to be one final absolutely perfect sacrifice which God would receive as the last sacrifice for sin forever. And that one and final sacrifice would actually allow mankind to end all this bloodshed of animals. And that one final sacrifice was Jesus, God's son. He was equal with God, but he became a man. He came down to this earth And he felt what it was like to have human feelings and human emotions. And he can sympathize with our weaknesses and our temptations because he was tempted just like the rest of us. Yet he was without sin. He is the sinless, perfect man. And then he was falsely accused. He was convicted of a crime that he didn't commit. He was sentenced to death. And he was executed. He was hung on a cross. And he died. And God the Father received Jesus as the last and the final sacrifice. And the only way from that point forward 
to deal with this barrier of sin. Sacrifice is still necessary. But that sacrifice has already been offered to God in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why we read in John's gospel, the words of John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is what Jesus accomplished. The final sacrifice, the Lamb of God who can take our sin. And it gives every person the opportunity to be reconciled with their creator. And then through Jesus, there's even more. He gives everyone who accepts him as their sacrifice for sin the opportunity to look forward, to look forward to a restored world, a restoration of what was at the beginning, a world of light and life without the existence of death. I read that earlier. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Heaven, where Jesus is. And Jesus is there because he's alive. He was dead, but he was raised back to life. John the Apostle, he received a revelation of Jesus Christ. He wrote the last book of the New Testament, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And in the first chapter of Revelation, John sees Jesus, and Jesus is talking. And in Revelation 1.18, he says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now, look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. John, who recorded the Baptist saying, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is the same John who saw this glorious vision of heaven. And it was Jesus saying, I'm alive. I've got the keys of death. I've conquered it. And in that same vision, he describes Jesus. What did he look like? In chapter 5, he says, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Jesus, the lamb who was sacrificed, is the risen lamb. And he's still pictured as a lamb. The lamb that conquered death for all of us. He's alive. He's at the center of the throne in heaven. Gave his life. Gave his life for all humanity. That any and all could gain eternity through him to be with him. That risen lamb of God in heaven, it, he bids to each one of us, see me as the lamb who was slain. See me as the one who took care of your sin. And that, and that I believe, is why he showed John himself as the lamb who was slain. He wants us. He wants us to gain eternal life. He suffers none to be lost. And he's done it all by this thing called grace. Grace that is free. Grace that is this meritless gift. He laid down his life freely for all people. We only need to see that sin separates us from God. And Jesus restores the relationship. That's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it can be made to seem so complicated and so complex that we just miss it. 
but it really isn't all that complex. The lamb gave his life for sin. And he was raised to life victorious over death. When that clicked, when that clicked with my wife, Julie, she just couldn't get over it. She was in awe. She was in awe, and I'll tell you what. Julie is a person who never wants to pay retail. She loves a sale. She is always looking for a deal. She's never afraid to walk up to the person in the, in the store and ask for a markdown. What discount can I get? Now, when she understood that Jesus did it all, and it was by grace, it was free, she said over and over to me, she said, Pat, this is such a deal. This is such a deal. It's free. And she understood what that lamb cake was all about. I'll tell you what I've heard over and over about this lamb cake, too. It seemed every Easter, I know why my mom made that lamb cake on Easter now. But as many times as I've heard that, we've never had a lamb cake for Easter. Because her mother had passed on that mold, and Julie gave it away to the Salvation Army. Before it clicked. So she's always regretted that she gave away that mold. But this morning, I got the mold. I got the mold. I got the lamb mold and I'm going to take it home. And we're going to have some lamb cake. But I'm not going home to bake. And Julie, I'm not telling you to go home and bake either. Because our good friend Sharon Richards, she baked us a lamb cake. And it's beautiful. Sharon has done a fantastic job. This year is going to be different. It's going to be different because we are going to have this lamb cake as a reminder of the lamb of God and what he has done for us because we get it. We get it. We understand what once was foggy what once was foggy is now clear. Yeah, Julie was questioning, but then she was amazed. What I rejected, what I pushed back, I finally accepted. The Lamb of God endured my punishment. He procured my acceptance with God the Creator. He is alive in heaven. And one day he's going to receive me into eternity. Stubborn to submitted. If you couldn't write anything on this card earlier, think about it now. Your card doesn't need to be blank. Jesus, the lamb, he gave his life for you. You are not excluded from his grace. He died for all. He is risen for all. He is at the throne of that is called the throne of grace for all. It's just got to click with you. You can't do it yourself. You can't do it on your own. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. It's got to click with you. You got to turn from the sin and turn from your own way and turn to Jesus Christ.
And then you can go from perplexed to amazed. You can go from consumed to released. You can go from accused to vindicated. You can go from dirty to clean. You can go from forgotten to remembered. You can go from captive to free. You can go from guilty to innocent. You can go from convicted to acquitted. You can go from worthless to valuable. You think you're poor, you can be rich. You think you're weak, you can be strong. You failed this morning, you can be victorious in Jesus Christ. Are you weary? He'll give you rest for your soul. Are you frightened? He'll make you courageous. Are you damaged? He'll repair you. Are you desperate? He'll give you hope. Are you feeling like an orphan? You can be a son or a daughter of God. Are you an enemy? He'll be your friend. Are you thirsty? He will refresh your soul. Are you hungry? He'll fill you. You feel like an alien or a foreigner? He will make you a citizen of heaven. Are you rejected? He will make you affirmed. The risen Lamb of God can take you from death to life. And I hope you get it this morning. I hope you get it this morning. We're going to take some time to just close with a song. And as we do that, pick up this card. If you've never, ever come to it, think about it this morning. I can't force you. I can't make you. It's got to be you. If you were stubborn like me, you can drop the barrier. You know what? It's only going to be better for you and for your soul. So take, the t- take some time to, to, to just consider it as we sing this song about praising Jesus. Don't praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever.
If you wrote something on this card this morning and it was the first time you could really do it, I want to just pray for you. I want to bless you. If you would just raise your, you, you raise your card up. I, I, I know I got mine up. It's stubborn to submit it. And I want to pray for you. And if you desire, you don't want to leave here, you can come forward afterwards and I'd be happy to meet you, talk with you, pray with you more. And if there's more than a few, we've got others that can talk to you and pray with you. Lord, thank you for the hands that are raised, God. Oh, Lord, for any and all who for the first time realized you are life, God, thank you. And I pray you'd bless bless them, Lord. Bless their walk with you, God, to come to the realization that by grace we are saved and it's not anything that we do. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for those who are orphans who've become children, your children, God, those who were lost but have found, those who are blind but free, God, thank you and bless them. And we thank you, Lord, for this great morning. Thank you for rising from the dead for us. Continue to pour out your blessing as we go forth in the day, continuing to praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.